from the AT&T Podcast Studio, this is Long Story Short. I'm Sean Witt, the Audience Development Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide non-for-profit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Reporter Paul Munnies has the latest on a story he covered earlier this year, a dispute with the state of Texas over water rights at the southern border. Paul, give us a quick recap about the dispute. Yeah, so we first covered this story back in April. Um, That was when the state's reconstituted uh, Oklahoma Red River Boundary Commission met for the first time in several years. And uh, they had kind of a novel problem to look at. And it was essentially a dispute with a a tiny part of the the, uh, pumping station for a North Texas water district actually on the Oklahoma side of the border at the Red River uh, at Lake Texoma. And so there was all kinds of issues that kind of came out of that. And um, this was not a new discovery by any match, uh, but uh, at the same time, um, you can't sell water across state lines. That's state law. And so there has to be some resolution in what's going on down there at the border. Uh, And it it gets wrapped up into environmental law, water law, water rights, and environmental uh, protections as well. Wow, that's a mouthful. Uh, What's happened since April? Yeah, so basically the task force uh, directed University of Oklahoma President Joseph Harris uh, to kind of come together and get some experts. The idea at that time was to get some experts from the university community uh, to kind of come up with a solution to make recommendations to this commission in Oklahoma and then have a resolution with Texas. Now, in the meantime, uh, he has directed folks and then actually gone out and uh, surveyed his community there in Oklahoma and um, basically has uh, determined that there needs some outside experts as well. So he came back with a plan before the committee and basically offered uh, several experts in areas of water law, uh, engineering, and surveying to kind of make recommendations to the commission. Uh, How often does the special legislative committee meet? Yeah, this was the first time in decades, actually, um, that I had met this year. And so the last time I had met was probably in the early 2000s. That was right after Oklahoma and Texas had actually finalized their water compact for um, the border there at the Red River. Uh, These issues do not come up very often. Sometimes they need congressional approval. This one is pretty unique in itself in that um, this was discovered back in 2009 uh, when there was uh, invasive zebra mussels at Lake Texoma. And those are little uh, mussels that are attached to boats. Uh, they're huge plankton eaters. They eat, upset the ecosystem. They're invasive species. You can't transport them across state lines. And of course, there were some issues with the water getting pumped from the Oklahoma side back into Texas. That's transporting across state lines. And of course, that made some problems with some. This a lot more complicated. So humor me here. Why did the committee want the University of Oklahoma to be involved? Was it the Red River rivalry? Is that what it was about? Well, there was lots of jokes, and there was lots of jokes back in the spring about the OU and Texas rivalry on the football field. Uh, But this year uh, was basically more about uh, cooperation. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, it's all kind of something that Texas has to figure out because they're taking the water. Uh, Of course, it's Oklahoma's water. And so part of this is is kind of figuring out a good way that that would work for both sides. Like I said earlier, they can't sell the water because that's against state law. That would be an easy solution. So something else has to come up. And, um, you know, uh, the, the Texas Water District last April uh, basically proposed a, a straight land swap of several acres on either side of this water pumping station. Um, that was kind of taken under consideration, but Oklahoma wanted to kind of do its own kind of uh, study as well. What did uh, President Harris recommend? Well, he basically said we've got some professionals for surveying and uh, water law and uh, engineering that are experts in this type of thing. Uh, we'd like to spend the money and hire them to have them make recommendations. 
Uh, the issue there is money, of course, like it is or anything else. And um, there's going to be a, about a $300,000 cost with this. Now, North Texas Water District said that they would uh, take on the cost of that. And so uh, the Oklahoma Commission said, sure, let's do that. And this now needs uh, recommendations from their board down in Texas to get the final approval. So what, what happens next and when do you see the dispute being resolved? Yeah, so the next step is basically the North Texas Water District uh, Board to approve those costs. Um, and then that will be sometime in a meeting this month in November. And then um, they're supposed to come back with uh, recommendations before the commission sometime late April, early March next year. Um, and uh, then we'll go from there. All right. Thanks, Paul. You can read all of Paul's coverage on the water dispute as well as his work on Oklahoma state government and social policies issues on our website, oklahomawatch.org. Keaton Ross covers democracy and criminal justice for Oklahoma Watch. His latest story, reported on a partnership with former Oklahoma Watch intern Jazz Wolf, follows up on a questionable partnership between Oklahoma Sheriff's Association and Court Debit Collection Agency. Keaton, how does Oklahoma Sheriff's Association generate revenue from the Aberdeen Enterprises? What's happening is uh, county sheriffs across the state uh, are referring outstanding debt cases to the Oklahoma Sheriff's Association which is then compiling those and forwarding them to Aberdeen Enterprises, which is a Tulsa-based court debt collection agency. Um, when those cases are referred to Aberdeen, they tack on a 30% uh, collections fee, and that is split between Aberdeen and the Sheriff's Association. Uh, this has been going on for, for several years. Uh, there was a state law change in 2010 that uh, permitted sheriffs to uh, outsource these these cases to third parties. Um, and since then, the, through this partnership, splitting that 30% collections fee, uh, Aberdeen and the, and the Sheriff's Association have been taking home uh, a significant amount of money. How much money has the Sheriff's Association received through this partnership over the last five years, say? So going back, uh, looking at tax years 2017 through 2021, uh, the latest that are available uh, the Sheriff's Association has taken in about $2 million over that time frame, um, so averaging out to about $400,000 per year. Um, their budget is hovers around the, the million-dollar range, maybe a little bit uh, above, um, so that's, that's a significant portion of their budget is being funded through uh, this partnership. Indeed, indeed. So there's a pending lawsuit in federal court challenging this arrangement, correct? Yes, that was filed in, in late 2017. Uh, that was initially struck down uh, in the federal court process. Um, there was a reversal earlier this year, and that's it's once again pending in the uh, Northern District Court of Oklahoma. What do the, what do the plaintiffs allege here? So they essentially allege that the Sheriff's Association Aberdeen ran a predatory extortion scheme that, that threatened indigent people who are unable to pay their court debt with, with jail time and arrest if uh, they didn't set up uh, a payment system or, or pay uh, a certain amount of time when they were contacted by uh, a debt collector. Uh, they allege that they contacted their uh, family members and, and close contacts, that sort of thing. Um, and in some cases, they, they were uh, arrested when they weren't uh, paying setting up a payment through Aberdeen. And they, they alleged that Aberdeen essentially uh, contacted the county sheriffs, were in contact with them and arranged uh, arrest, that sort of thing, when the payment didn't come. 
Hmm. How have the Sheriff's Association and Aberdeen Enterprises responded? So they didn't re- respond to our request for comment, uh, but in the lawsuit, uh, they essentially said that they didn't break any state or federal law. Um, state law does authorize uh, failure to pay warrants if um, you have been assessed certain court fines and fees and, and haven't um, gone gone to an effort to pay those. Um, so they're, they're saying that they were not without, you know, going beyond the bounds of the law, uh, and, and acting this way. A new state law recently took effect, changing on how courts determine if a person is indigent or not. How will that impact this criminal defendants? Yeah. So that took effect on November 1st. Uh, essentially it's going to give defendants an opportunity to have their, uh, cost hearing earlier on in the, in the process of going through the court system. Um, it also, the law has language that assumes if a, if a person meets, meets certain criteria, if their income is, uh, at, or just over the federal poverty line, if, uh, they receive certain state or federal assistance or disabled, uh, those sorts of criteria, they're, they're assumed to, to not be able to, to pay those court fines and fees. Um, so the, the hope with that law is that it will sort of, help the courts better identify someone who's, who's indigent earlier in the process before uh, it gets to the stage where cases are being referred to collections, that sort of thing. Yeah. Did the, did the pending lawsuit have any impact on this legislation? Uh, it was uh, based on the, on the research and reporting I did uh, it, there, it was a consideration um, just wanting to shore up that law and ensure that uh, it's not open to, to scrutiny and lawsuits over uh indigent people being targeted, that sort of thing. When do you, uh, when do you see this lawsuit being resolved? So it's, it's back in the written argument stage. Uh, it's, it's probably too soon to tell, uh, certainly could, could continue to drag on several months or, or years, uh, but we'll be keeping an eye on it. All right. Well, thanks Keaton. You can read all of Keaton's coverage on our website, oklahomawatch.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for his free weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. Jennifer Palmer covers education for Oklahoma Watch. Her recent story is about State Education Department's latest contract proposal, which is raising some eyebrows. Jennifer, what's this contract for? So the State Education Department is looking to hire a firm that would uh, manage and book some national TV and radio appearances. Um, They're looking for somebody who would also write op-eds and write speeches and, um, you know, has a, a history and experience in making these national publications and, and bookings. How do you know? So this comes from public records that we got from the Office of Management and Enterprise Services. They kind of oversee a lot of these contracts. Um, and this is what's called a request for proposal or an RFP. Um, so basically, it just lays out what they're looking for. Uh, different firms can submit their um, application, their bids, and then the department would choose from those um, and potentially hire one of these firms. So there's no contract yet. Um, it's early in the process, but it does give us a window into um, the department's priorities and kind of what they're what they're working on. One of the people you interviewed was Aaron Brewer, a public school advocate who says it sounds like Walters wants to use his contract to campaign. What does she mean by that? 
Right. I mean, I, I heard that from several people as well, um, that this contract is really about, you know, raising Walter's national profile. Um, the request for proposal itself does not specifically say Walter's. It says executive staff. Um, would be the ones going on these these media interviews. But we know Walters already does a lot of national um, interviews with different talk radios and podcasts and TV shows. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's pretty safe to assume he'd be the one doing these interviews. So the State Ethics Commission, it's the agency tasked with enforcing laws for campaigning and state officers and, and employees. What, what do they have to say about this? Right. So there are rules against campaigning um, when you are um, a public official, um, but these appearances do not appear to break those rules. I mean, the Ethics Commission says unless um, a state official was going on TV and saying very clearly, like, vote for me or aren't I doing a great job? Keep me in office. Something like that. Um, then that would be something that the agency might investigate. But in these cases, you know, Walters is talking about what his agency's doing. He's, you know, talking about culture war issues and things like that. So it wouldn't really uh, fall under that. Now, that doesn't mean that folks aren't upset about it. Um, there are quite a few folks who would say it's a distraction from the work that needs to be done. It's not part of his job description, things like that. But as far as ethics rules go, it doesn't seem to violate anything. Walters is already going on radio shows and podcasts several times a week, though he's less than a year into his four-year term. What is he talking about? He does talk about some of his initiatives. Uh, many of these appearances do start with that, you know, his Back to Basics plan or, you know, um, some of these initiatives he has to um, use incentive pay to pay teachers and tutors. But, um, you know, those initiatives take time to work. And, and since he has not been in the position for even a year. Um, a lot of these interviews, um, and I watched and listened to quite a few of them, they, you know, maybe start with that, but then go pretty deeply into culture war stuff. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's some misinformation, there's divisive language, you know, kind of the typical um, uh, stuff we've seen from Walters, um, some ranting, things like that, you know. So, is he also campaigning here? What What do you know about his campaign? So that's interesting as well. I mean, you know, he hasn't announced that he's running for anything. Obviously, he's, you know, like we said, he's only less than a year into his, his current term. Um, you know, a, a lot of folks think that he is trying to get a job in Washington, trying to run for some other office. Um, you know, he recently announced that he's joining um, Donald Trump's reelection campaign. Um, and so, and didn't really explain like how that would fit in with his job as state superintendent overseeing all the public schools in the state. Um, he, he hired his campaign manager uh, at the department. So, um, you know, he, he works there as the chief policy advisor and that campaign is still active. They've sent out some fundraising emails and some other emails, uh, you know, announcing that he is endorsing uh, Donald Trump recently. So, um, you know, that there is still some of that going on. Hmm. In your story, you mentioned there's a second contract proposal. What's this one for? And are there similar concerns about it? Right. So this one, it does seem to be related. I think both contracts were put out about the same time. They end about the same time, um, the the date to submit the, the proposals. And this one is for video um, work, like videographer. 
And um, there are some concerns about that as well, because the department um, under Walters has put out a couple of videos that um, many folks found offensive. Um, they've called it propaganda. It was very anti, one of them, you know, focused on the teachers union um, and used a lot of like overly dramatized clips from the national teachers union, not local. And so there was a lot of criticism around that. So when I talked to some folks about that um, potential for that contract, there were concerns that it would be more of that type of video. Hmm. Well, thanks, Jennifer. You can read all of Jennifer's coverage on our website, oklahomawatch.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for her free weekly newsletter, Education Watch. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we are grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Sean Witt. Thanks for listening.